Hello, welcome back, guys. Thanks for tuning in to my weekly podcasts and uh, video YouTube vlogs. Don't forget to check out my website, www.chrisbircher.com. You'll see at the end of this video how to spell that. If you can't, that's where I'm going to be um, housing any uh, metadata that goes along with these things, just some interesting tidbits or show summaries or where you can find sort of the history, um, the compendium, if you will, for what is KEW, knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. Thanks again for taking this journey with me. Uh, This is going to be episode two. Last time in episode one, I talked a little bit about facts and truth and alternate facts and this weird kind of place we are. And I think this week I'm going to build on that a little bit uh, talk a little bit about um, just society and how people fit in, and especially in the light of coronavirus and, and some speculating I've been doing, pondering, if you will, about sort of what our world is and what our responsibilities is are as individuals and as members of the community. Um, and one of the things I sort of sort of learned since recording the last video, or things I may, something I may have forgotten to put in there, is that. A lot of the ancient philosophers or historic philosophers talked about where we get this idea of reality. And it was sort of um, uh, like, do we get it from our emotions, how we feel about something? Do we get it from our ability to reason? One of the things that makes us unique as humans is this reasoning ability. Uh, Do we get it from information or facts? And um, one of the things I think I've learned since recording the last episode one, is that I think I rely more on reason. And that's sort of our inherent ability to derive uh, factual matter from a situation that's based on the machinery that we're born with and that we have evolved to have in our brains. But it, but it, but it also implies the, the, the collection and um, um, assimilation of information. And I think that's what this podcast is really all about, is, is relying upon our reason, which is derived from a series of accumulating knowledge or, or information about a, a, a subject or a situation in your life, and um, then gaining some experience or even, or even deriving from someone else's experience, real world sort of, maybe that's the emotion part, and combining those things together um, to create wisdom with no claims upon whether or not that is facts or truth. And remember, there's the, the known, the unknown, and the unknowable, and we're limited inherently by our machinery to be, be able to, to get at the truth, uh, but we can try to get close to that. And I guess my point is just that this reasoning ability, I think, is something that um, I believe is an is a appropriate useful machinery to derive uh, facts uh, of the world or or ideas of opinions about the world. Um, And not to get too much more into that, but it does have some relevancy to what I I sort of wanted to discuss today, um, which is basically why do people think they know things? It's like... And I don't know if this, I really have trouble with this. Is, is this a, a contemporary issue or is this something that's been inherent to the human condition since time started? Um, but 
I, I guess I feel like as a function somewhat of the internet and the information superhighway and sort of being able to read quickly about any subject or, or maybe that has nothing to do with it, but it just seems like it has accelerated this idea that everyone's an expert on everything. And of course, I first became aware of this in the world of craft beer where, you know, someone grows up, they try alcohol, they incorporate beer or wine or liquor or whatever, or coffee or food or anything. They incorporate that into their lives. They decide it's something they're curious about. And maybe they have a couple of experiences. Maybe they even visit a web page or try to build some knowledge. But in what I see as a very rudimentary uh, and non-disciplined approach to becoming an expert, all of a sudden people seem to be readily prescribing themselves as experts in any given situation. And I was listening to the Armchair Expert uh, with Dax Shepard, which is probably my favorite podcast, and he used the example of why do... When you go to a mechanic to get your car worked on, do you presume to know as much about working on your car as they do? Um, Maybe you've got a noise coming out of the motor. (laughs) Do you decide what it is? Are you going to the mechanic simply because you don't feel like performing the work yourself? Um, And and I've even seen this when people argue with mechanics about what's wrong or go in and say you've self-diagnosed this thing. Why do we not rely on experts and why do we think we know more than experts or as much as the experts or nearly as much as the experts with basically paling in comparison with the amount of knowledge and experience that we have on a given subject? And and with beer, I say this all the time because you start drinking beer, you like beer, maybe you incorporate beer into your life. If you're that kind of person, maybe you have a few beers every night, maybe you have a few beers a week, maybe you go out on the weekends with your friends, drink beer, whatever it is. That is experience, and the knowledge can be derived, um, but without some disciplined synergy between those two things, I don't think a person ever even gets on the path toward having any wisdom about the subject. But having said that, what I see as a brewery owner for over a decade and a craft beer you know, obsessor, for longer than that, is that people really don't have even a fundamental skill set that would bestow upon them um, the the right, um, but any you know a basic understanding of this thing that they presume or, or proclaim to be experts about. And what I hear is people say, "This isn't a good beer," or "This is too hoppy," or. And I think I, I might have mentioned this in the, in the last episode. Okay, those are opinions. Those are great. You can have opinions about something, but the way that you state them matters. When you state opinions as if they are fact, you launch yourself into this um, poser world where you are acting like an expert and not just someone that has an opinion about something. And I see this all the time in beer. It's all over the web, and the, 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 there's w- w- uh, websites where you can go in and rate beers and give them a rating based on the, the quality that you presume these beers to have based on your extensive knowledge and experience in the subject. And instead of anyone with, again, even a fundamental 
understanding about what makes a good beer, why beers are good, what the quality elements in a beer you know are that you can assess uh, with absolutely zero um, I don't know if proclivity is the right word um, studious approach to that simply make these opinion statements as if they were fact. So again, the question being, why do we presume to be experts on a large number of subjects that pertain to us? Uh, I, I don't know where that, you know, maybe it has to do with our distrust of science or distrust of others, um, or this, the simple belief that we are, bestowed with these abilities to, with a minimal amount of effort, training, learning, knowledge amassing, experience having, uh, without, without, with a very fundamental amount of those things, then we all of a sudden are a authority on any given subject. It drives me nuts. And I, and I know that I probably do this to myself or I do this myself just like everybody else. I'm, I'm not, I'm not unique. So there's likely to be some element that is simply a human um, phenomenon, but uh, I think it needs to stop because it's creating problems. And, and one of the biggest problems in recent news, it's April 1st, uh, 2020 in the middle of the coronavirus is people reading something about viral population dynamics. And all of a sudden, probably having never really thought about this very much, uh, in the past, knowing everything there is to know about it. And, and, and I guess what shocks me is the what's missing from a fundamental, again, viral population um, dynamics understanding, a very basic understanding of the simple mathematical, biological, well, it's not really biological because viruses aren't alive, um, um, patterns that exist and are fairly well known within a specific field if you had ever studied them before. So, for example, I'm an ecologist. I've got three degrees basically in ecology. I have studied population dynamics. I have written C++ and Fortran computer models to estimate population dynamics for a given species just for fun and, and for learning purposes about, um, say, like uh, tigers in the Serengeti, you know, if there's so many out there now and they take this long to reproduce new cubs and there's this many resources available and these sort of stochastic and natural um, death threats and mortality, you know, all these things go in and, and you, you learn about these individual things. What's the mortality rate of tigers? Well, we've got data for so many years. We see that so many die and so many are born. We know what the recruitment is of, of new individuals. You know, we have this information, and from using that information, you can build a model. But when presented with the idea of something that is, um, and so animals, mammals, are not, uh, they don't reproduce a whole lot, and they have a lot of mortality and low recruitment. So their their population growth really is 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 kind of linear or slow, and it may be sine, it's you know, sine waves. And the the general pattern is, you know, from a zero from two Noah's Ark male and female individuals, you will get sort of an increase in population size under different conditions, and that will sort of waver across this carrying capacity, which then goes from being a biotic restricted restricted pattern, you know, um, how many how many eggs a female produces, how many cubs they can have in ears, things things like that, to an abiotic 
um, or environmental control where how many resources are available to feed these things and how much territory is available so they don't fight and kill each other and all this stuff. And you reach what's called a carrying capacity. Well, cells, and, and, vi- and I assume, again, I, I don't know, I'm not a viral MD, uh, but when you look at cell division, it's exponential, right? A cell divides, one cell becomes two, two cells become four, and each one of those, and it, and it, and it, it is an exponential curve. And what I guess I'm getting at and what I'm wondering from reading is that people really just don't, have never seen that, have never looked at that, and don't really have a comprehension of what an exponential increase in a population size looks like. And in this case, I'm talking about the virus. When I hear about a new infection, and I never really thought about it before, I live in the world with my head in the sand and just think that nothing is ever going to come here. Malaria is not here. Ebola didn't make it here. You know, I feel falsely protected from these things. But the first thing I thought of is, wow, um, a virus is really going to, is not limited by much of anything as long as it can move from a host to host. And I'm sort of thinking about what those population dynamics look like with more information and a greater body of knowledge and a little bit, maybe even experience than the average person. And I'm thinking, wow, if it follows that curve, that's bad. That's going to get big quick and we need to do things. And what can we do to reduce that steepness of that curve? And even though I hadn't thought it through in my head, this whole flattening of the curve thing is, you know, where my head was going and it's where, the experts have um, taken us. And so I just thought, well, we, we hunker down and avoid people. That's pretty simple for me as an introvert. I mean, I'm happy to stay at home and, and do whatever minimum things that I need to do. Um, but my point is that without that simple um, understanding of what an, what biological um, population, exponential population growth, biological or not, looks like you have no appreciation for the potential of of this thing. And so to skip over that into, I don't believe it, it's a hoax, this isn't going to happen, is hard for me to comprehend. And so what's the mechanism that allows a person to skip from, huh, this is interesting, to I know everything there is to know about it and I've made this conclusion, this is the way it is. I mean, you can blame the news network that you listen to or, or, or whatever, or your political agenda, um, but I think it's a, it's a fundamental mistake that we're making as individuals related to how much we know about things um, as, as individuals or even as a population. And the resistance to listen to other people that may know more than you. And maybe that makes us uncomfortable to think, but you're not uncomfortable when you don't know what's wrong with your car won't start and you call somebody to help you. Um, what's the, what's the difference? Uh, and, and so take me of like, um, behavioral modifications during this thing. Again, I, I think we just hunker down, whatever that means, social distance, whatever that means. But I see a, a vastly different belief in what that means in the group of people that I regularly sort of interact with, you know, right now, not physically, but, um, you know, from people who think, well, I'm not eating in restaurants, but I'm getting takeout twice a day. You know, that 
to them is an extreme measure of social distancing. Whereas I'm sort of like telling my kids, you can't hang out with your friends. You know, you, I have more severe restrictions. Who's right? Who's wrong? Um, we can't control like China, you know, we can't, we can't demand and regulate people's behavior like you can in a, in a communist country, probably thankfully. And so we're left with the one bad apple spoils the bunch or, 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 or whatever, and hope that everybody sort of does behaves in such a way that we do interact less and slow the exponential growth of the virus and flatten the curve. And having said all that, you know, that really sucks to me because what that means is it's going to take a lot longer. We're, we're going to have to wait for herd immunity, you know, natural immunity or resistance to occur within a population as we meet this new thing and our bodies react. That takes time. Or we're going to have to wait till there's some sort of vaccine. So immediately I'm like, oh, shit, this is going to take a really long time. <laughs> because if you don't, you, you've probably seen the curves where they show it go up and then it drops. And then we, you, know, you, you implement social distancing and you slow that thing and you actually get it to a point where it can start to come back down, the occurrence in the population comes back down. Then you release social distancing measures and it goes right back up. Um, so it's either you know flatten the curve and make it last a long time or go through these series of spikes, which are going to result in high mortality rates every time. Um, probably, you know, just back of the envelope, guess, with my limited experience, probably that process is going to take a similar amount of time, whether it's a few months or a year. Uh, anyway, I, I don't presume to be any kind of expert. My personal feeling with the whole thing is it's going to take a lot longer than we think, and um, I don't think we're going to be able to constrain people's behavior enough um, to go long enough. And so what we're going to see is this series of spikes. Um, now, um, my business has essentially closed, uh, during this period because I mean, it's a place people go and drink beer. That's certainly not an essential need. And we could continue to do takeout. Uh, people could come in and, and get six packs to go. If we had six packs again, since we've been moving, we don't have a whole lot of stockpile of beer, but they could, come in and fill a growler and take that to go. But we've just decided that given our monthly baseline financial expenditures that it takes just to stay open, even if we killed all the utilities, we have to pay insurance and all these other things. And and it gets to a point where cutting those things off only to restart them again a few months later probably isn't worth it. I mean, we'd probably have to pay water deposits again, electric deposits again. I mean, the, the way the world works, I just don't have any faith that there's going to be any mechanisms to help us. So we've decided just to go down to the bare minimum expenditures as possible just to maintain a, a, a business entity, you know, letting letting uh, zero payroll, um, you know, just paying whatever minimum water usage, uh, keeping all the lights off and all those things. But that's still several, you know, pushing $10,000 a month and no amount of to-go beer sales is going to get anywhere close to that. So if I'm not going to meet 10% of my bills um, and then having to expose my staff, you know, I'm not convinced that passing food back and forth and and all those things isn't um, a narrow vector in this whole thing. Anyway, I've taken the, the personal hit to just sort of say, We'll deal with that because it's socially responsible. Um, 
but coupled with that isn't it's not all about altruism it's not zero about altruism it just seems to make sense population dynamics wise and my business is going to be hurt so bad uh, by this whole thing that some minimal amount of business that puts us at some level of risk just isn't worth it um anyway this this sort of goes further into this idea of now we're in a situation where there's a lot of things going on that we don't know about. And so a lot of people are doing that thing that people do where they're like, well, I know what's going to happen. I, I, I know how I, you know, I, this is going to run. It's going to be fine. We're going to laugh and it's stupid that we're social distancing and all these things. Um, but the real question in my mind sort of comes at a bigger level, you know, um, and I don't want to diminish anybody's individual problem because my problem isn't nearly as bad as it could be. My wife is a doctor, um, but which is a whole different story because she's on the front lines and exposing herself directly um, to people. But you know, her job will she will be working less because they're only doing emergency cases and not elective cases. Um, her income is sort of at risk. My income has ceased to exist, but we're not going to not be able to buy groceries. And so I don't have the same problems as other people. I'm not forced to continue to go to a job where I'm drastically increasing my potential to get sick. Um, and so I, you know, I've got the white privilege thing going on for sure, but that's all I know. And I, and you know, I try to be empathetic to other people. Um, but I guess my point is, um, It creates, it, it opens up a new area of questioning for me that has to do with how self reliant and individualistic we are versus how reliant on a society that we are. And it seems linked to this idea that people as individuals know everything and can know everything. It implies and, and distrusts other experts or perhaps feels somewhat less than or embarrassed because they don't know everything. Um, it creates a, a potential for there to be a world of individuals in a world where we're really not supposed to be individuals. And that gets me, you know, in thinking about economics and sort of the, the financial future and money, all of a sudden, the vectors of money flowing from pots A to pot B throughout the world has drastically changed. Some businesses aren't affected. Some businesses are probably actually doing more business and some businesses are doing zero business. And people are buying less gas because they're driving less. They're spending less on recreation or entertainment but maybe more on food. I mean, these, these, this economic money flow has changed drastically. Uh, so what's that going to look like? Whose job is it to know about that so that we can get ahead of it? Um, what, what I see is like no, no organizational communal effort to understand this. And I guess on the one hand, my thoughts are, isn't that somebody's job? And that leads to government. I mean, isn't it somebody's job to at least collect and analyze the data? And I was, I was saying this the other day. Certainly, we understand what I just said. You know, the, the, the world of economics, let's just take the U.S., is built up of all these 
sources and sinks. You got money moving from one place to the other. You've got money moving from consumers to grocery stores. You've got money moving from grocery stores to distribution outlets. You've got money moving from distribution outlets to trucking companies. Um, and, and all those vectors are going to change dramatically. And, and I think somebody knows you know, maybe lots of individual people, maybe the grocery distributor and the fuel company all have independent data. But can't we put all that stuff together and sort of get an understanding of the way things used to work, the sizes and, and, and links of those flows measured in dollars per year or whatever? Um, and then can't someone then come in and model that and sort of say, well, here's what we think is going to happen. Here's maybe where we need to put... Um, an effort to change things. Here's maybe where we need a little bit of uh, economic stimulus, or maybe we can relieve these costs over here for a while. Maybe, you know, businesses are set up such that you have 10 people at the top making millions of dollars and 400 people at the bottom making 10, 50 an hour. Um, maybe we should redistribute that income a little bit in order to make things work and to keep those economic vectors working, uh, properly, you know, that, that sort of thing. And so again, going back to whose job is this? Well, where I live, we have a, a, a fundamental dislike of government unless um, things are going your way. Maybe that's the case everywhere. You hate government unless it's going your way. And so what, I, what we have around here is a lot of anti-socialist, whatever that means. I wish I could definitively argue and define what these different governmental philosophies are, but I don't think anybody even knows anymore to the point where it doesn't matter. But we have people around here that are, you know, I want the government to regulate a woman's body, but I don't want them telling me what to do with my guns. Or I love driving on roads and I don't want to pay any taxes for that, but don't help out the poor. I mean, it's like this whole mishmash of anger or distrust towards government when fundamentally right now, I think we need it. And if it's not government, maybe it's something else, but I certainly don't know what that is. But but somebody should be responsible for understanding and, and this and prescribing um, appropriate methods towards dealing with it. Uh, and and so that that opens the door to why why do people sort of fundamentally distrust government? Nobody believes anybody's going to do it right. And in my opinion, you don't have to do it right. You just have to do something. And then modify that. And I think what happens on why people dislike government is they decide how they're going to do something and then they do it that way and never stop. And there's no system of what we, in, in ecology, we would call um, changed in unforeseen circumstances. You need an adaptive management approach to sort of say, we're going to try to do this and we're going to assess how we do that. And, and if it looks like that's not working, we'll change it. And here's how we're going to do that. And here's, you know, a system of checking in every quarter or whatever to, to assess these things and make changes. What government seems to do is say, we're going to do it this way. And that's how it is, whether that works or not. And if it doesn't work, we'll just hire more people. And then a bunch of people will be sitting around twiddling your thumbs. That's my sort of opinion of how government works. It's incredibly inefficient. Um, and, uh, doesn't have a real good mechanism for self-awareness, <laughs> you know, or growth or modification on the flip side of that. Um, the alternate is to leave those sorts of decisions to the free market. And what I see there is just um, a capitalist drive toward greed. So you got two scenarios, one where it's incredibly inefficient and there's no real system of improvement or even, you know, um, um, a, a culture of wanting to improve things and that versus 
um, the 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 pub, the private sector um, money driven economics driven capitalist way of doing something. So in one case, you've got an inefficient system that makes a lot of mistakes and doesn't really uh, have a way of improving itself. And another that its only goal is to produce the 1%. Um, I would much rather, and and I can't believe I'm saying this, and I guess I've realized this in the last couple of days, I would much rather live in a world where um, decisions that I don't want to make are made by uh, inefficient um, sort of keystone cops uh, crew rather than people who are driven by getting rich. By greed, so you got you got um, lazy and greedy. I'd rather be ruled by the lazy, and and I guess I'm hoping, and this is the the Pollyanna coming out, that this is an opportunity to for all of us to admit we don't really know how any of those either of those things work. We don't really know how corporate America works. We we have this weird. Some of us some of us do. I think more liberal people uh, tend to think that. Um, Corporate America needs to be dis- disempowered, if that's a word, um, and 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 sort of wealth equality, or and, you know, efforts need to be made to 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 close the gap, the income gap, and all those sort of things to sort of just just because fundamentally that's creating problems that we'd like to solve. And the other side that just sort of says, um, I, I don't care, um, I, I don't even know what the, I, I don't really understand the conservative viewpoint on why um, big business should persist uh, and get all the um, what seems to be astronomically increasing uh, loopholes that make it easier and easier for the income gap to get wider and wider. You know, some people see that as a problem. Some people don't, I guess, is the the basic um, uh, dichotomy. And I think maybe this is a chance for us to, or to to admit that there's a few problems. And one is one is that we don't know everything, and it and it definitely takes a community of people to make decisions. If uh, if you if you think you got the coronavirus, where are you going to go, a doctor? Right? Uh, if your car's broken, where are you going to go, mechanic? Uh, if you need groceries, where are you going to go? Uh, if you want to drive on the street, what are you going to drive across town? What are you going to use? I mean, we. I think it's time for us to admit <laughs> that we live in a society. And I don't think that means that we have to be, um, there has to be like a caste system or even a socialist system, um, where you have to do something. Uh, but I think, I think there is an inherent responsibility, um, of individuals in, in society, um, to do their part, whatever that is. I think we can still maintain our individuality and our uniqueness and a certain degree of separation. I, for one, as an as an introverted sort of philosophical thinker, I I, I want that. I don't want to be a part of the system, but at the same time, there's some extent of the system that I am wholeheartedly invested in, and and and, and want to help. What we lack, I think, is an organization an organizational structure that encourages us and reminds us of our, our place and our, our, and our responsibility and the roles that we play and a sense of belonging and all those other things, um, that make that work. And the only way that I know to do that, I'll put under the umbrella of government and leadership, um, to, to figure that out. And I'm hoping as individuals, we 
can see the need for that and the lack of that and the problems that result from that. And uh, I don't really want to get into a vast tirade on income inequality, um, but I definitely think that doesn't help. You know, I see this at, at the brewery. There's this us versus them mentality. And that, whatever that is, whatever it happens, which I think a lot of it's human nature and a lot of it's just um, lack of leadership on my part, you got a bad situation. And a lot of times, once us versus them is established, the only thing you can do is get rid of some of either side or both and start over. And sometimes I wonder if that wouldn't be the best thing um, for society is to start over. You know, I was listening to another one of my favorite uh, podcasts, um, Philosophize This, and he was talking about Descartes, who's always been sort of my favorite philosopher. And I don't really know why. I, I, I read a lot of philosophy, but I don't, and I comprehend it, but I don't, I don't have a, I don't retain it. And so I can't repeat back to you what, what Descartes is and, and what he did. Uh, but one of the things that, um, the host whose name escapes me of philosophize this highly recommended, uh, was that Descartes came along and said, you know what? A lot's been done in philosophy. A lot of amazing things have been said, but I think it's just time to start over. So what if I just wipe the slate clean and I try to go back to pre-Plato, pre-Socrates, and just sort of start from scratch and sort of derive my own system, and then I'll compare it to what's been done. And that that was the whole, I think, therefore I am. You know, He started with, do I even exist? And sometimes I wonder if it's not time for that, uh, for a lot of different things. You know, it's like technology has raced ahead so fast uh, ahead of our comprehension that it's left in its wake a new world that nobody really thought of. You know, it's kind of like the brewery. We built it and five years in, we looked around and we're like, how did all this happen? And, and it happened because it was entirely reactive. There was no proactive measure. It was, we need more beer now. How do we do that? And so we did all this stuff and it became a whirlwind of spending way too much money and making a huge mess and not really thinking about how things work and just total lack of efficiency. And, and, you know, does that not describe sort of where at least America is now? So I guess what I ask from you is because this is, this is all new to me. I, I, a lot of this is just coming out in real time and it's um, thoughts that have jumbled around in my head as a result of social distancing and sort of thinking about these things is, you know, where do we go from here? Um, what is our responsibilities as individuals? What are what are our responsibilities as individuals? What is the responsibility of some other communal entity that helps us move forward, um, both economically and sort of society? And 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 I think that bigger question. I have very little faith that we can do anything about that. I've reached a point where. Democrats and Republicans are really the same thing. Government is is bought. Decisions are are paid for. Um, and that's just the way it is. And I don't know. To changing that's going to be a pain in the butt because a lot of people stand to lose a lot of money. But as individuals, what can we do? Um, yeah. And your thoughts on that subject would be much appreciated. I think that's enough for this week. What we'll call episode two under the auspices of uh, some title that I'll have to make up later. And I look forward to seeing you again. And uh, 
don't forget to check out my website. I'll, I'll try to keep the metadata heavy on there depending on people's interests. Um, but certainly you'll, you'll be able to find another episode hopefully next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Chris Bercher, knowledge plus experience equals wisdom.